let's take a moment uh, and just ask for God's help as we come to his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the words we've just been singing together, uh, that we can be still this morning and know that the presence of the Lord, the Holy One, is here. And Father, as we open up your word, we want to come with that sense that the God who breathed the words of Scripture, um, who, who inspired these words to be written, and breathe them out, um, is here with us now wanting to speak to our hearts and wanting to speak into our lives. And so I pray we would have that sense as we open your word of being on holy ground. Um, Father, help us to hear the life-giving words that you want to speak to us this morning. Um, We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. we are, um, we're going to allow Isaiah, uh, we've been on a journey through Isaiah, uh, we're, we're going to go on for a few weeks after Easter, but we're going to allow Isaiah, I guess, to lead us into uh, Easter week. Um, and I, I want to begin, we're going to be reading uh, from probably, probably the most famous passage in Isaiah, uh, in Isaiah 53, um, but I want to start, I want to start here. Um, lots of you know I love a good novel and probably the the best novel that I've read in the last five years uh, was this one, uh, Everything Sad is Untrue, uh, a true story uh, by a guy called Daniel Nayer. What's his name? Nayeri. Um, Daniel Nayeri is uh, Iranian by background. He grew up in Iran. Um, his mother became a Christian when he was 12 years old, and his family had to flee from Iran because they were under the threat of death, and really the novel, it's a fictionalized version of, their, of his life story, written from the point of view of a 12-year-old boy. Um, it's written, I think, with teenagers in mind, uh, but I find it um, just an absolutely wonderful, um, very funny, very moving story. Um, it's, a, it's a novel that has been widely acclaimed, uh, but actually the Christian themes in it are very strong, as he reflects on his mother's faith and what it was that led her to do what she did and her courage through a very difficult life where they were homeless for a while in the Middle East and then in a refugee centre in Italy and eventually found a new home in Oklahoma of all places and and had to settle as an Iranian family in Oklahoma. Um, There's one line in particular in the novel, there's lots in it that inspired me, Uh, but near the end he looks back and thinks about his mother's courage and what she went through for him and his sister. And this is what he says. He says, uh, my mother was our champion who, like Jesus, took all the damage so we wouldn't have to. It's an extraordinary thing to say about your mother. He says, our mother was our champion who, like Jesus, took all the damage so we wouldn't have to. Um, That little phrase has kind of been in my mind a lot this week as I've thought about Isaiah 53, and you'll see why uh, as we go forward. Um, Just before we read from Isaiah 53, um, the section of Isaiah actually begins a few verses earlier in Isaiah 52, verse 13, and it begins with these words, see my servant, Uh, and that'll sound hopefully a little bit familiar by now as we read Isaiah. This is the fourth and final 
servant song. Uh, we've looked at a couple of the other servant songs in Isaiah. Uh, we've puzzled and wondered about who the servant might be. And we've noticed that sometimes it sounds like the servant is Israel, but there are other times when we're thinking that can't be Israel. Uh, it sounds like an individual. Um, sometimes it sounds like the servant could be Isaiah or another prophet. But again, there are other times when, when we're thinking this doesn't sound like just a prophet. Uh, and probably now as we come to the most famous of the servant songs, um, those questions about the identity of the servant kind of come to a sharp focus. And I think we'll realize as we read this can't be Israel and it can't be just a prophet. There's something much deeper uh, and more powerful going on. Um, so let's read together. We're going to read. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. Um, some of you will remember uh, I did preach a sermon on Isaiah 53 back in the autumn, uh, and I didn't want to just repeat that again. So we're going to take a slightly different angle uh, today. Uh, if you're interested in going through the whole passage a little bit more, you can go back and listen to the, the talk from the autumn. Uh, but we're going to read just a little bit from the beginning of Isaiah 53. Very famous words. And this is what it says. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Really want to encourage you. Um, to go and read the rest of the chapter, find a quiet moment this week in this Easter week as we get ready for um, Easter weekend um, and read the whole chapter. Um, hopefully, even as I read there, it kind of becomes clear in this fourth servant song that this can't be just another prophet. Um, maybe, maybe some of the things sound like a prophet. This person suffers and is rejected, and we know that a lot of the prophets often suffered and were rejected but this is a different kind of suffering. Uh, this person suffers on behalf of the people and on behalf, uh, he, he bears the sins of the people. And that language is all through the chapter. And again, if you go and read the rest of the chapter, you'll see it repeated again and again. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Uh, and if you're reading that um, with your mind switched on, you're going to be asking, how can one person bear the sin of another person? You, know, you, you bear responsibility for the things you do. I bear responsibility for the things I do. How can one person bear 
the sins of another person? And how can one person, as in Isaiah 53, bear the sins of many and of all? Um, And we're aware even the greatest of the prophets couldn't do this. And so now all our questions about the servant kind of come to a sharp focus. And of course, I'm sure you and I know, um, hundreds of years after these words were written, someone appeared among the people of Israel, and he looked ordinary and unremarkable. He had no particular beauty that drew your eye to him. He was an ordinary-looking Galilean man. He lived in the backwaters of Galilee. He briefly caused great excitement through his teaching and his miracles, but then he was cruelly killed by the Romans. He was pierced. He was crushed. But his followers came to believe that in him, all these promises we've been reading in Isaiah 53 have been fulfilled. That's what his followers have come to believe. Um, I really want to encourage you, um, go and find a quiet space this week and read this chapter and just notice how many of the details in this chapter are fulfilled in the person of Jesus and his death on the cross. It is extraordinary. Uh, something written hundreds of years beforehand. Uh, but just read the chapter and see how vividly it describes what Jesus went through. Um, but this morning, what's really been on my heart is I want to I wanna zoom in on just two lines at the very heart of the chapter. And for me, they are the, the, the real uh, center and heart uh, of this whole passage. And it's these two lines. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. Um, In going through Isaiah, um, we haven't talked about the fact that Isaiah is written as poetry. I don't know if you've ever wondered about when you you read Isaiah or any of the prophets uh, or obviously the Psalms as well, um, they're not written on the page like continuous prose. It's written as lines of poetry. Um, and don't worry, I'm not going to do a big um, kind of poetry lesson or literature lesson, but a little, little tiny bit that might help us. Um, he, Hebrew poetry is quite different to our poetry. Um, I don't know, sometimes when you're reading the poetry in the Bible, do you ever notice that it doesn't rhyme, like, like a lot of our poetry does? And then maybe you think, well, of course it doesn't rhyme because it's translated from Hebrew, so it probably rhymed in the Hebrew. Uh, but actually, it doesn't rhyme in the Hebrew either. Um, English poetry is, the, is often characterized by rhyming. We, we like to end one line with a word and then end the next line with a word that rhymes with it. Um, Hebrew poetry is, is based around something very different, which is called parallelism. Um, and the idea with parallelism is you get two lines together and the second line expresses roughly the same thought as the first line, but also just a little bit different. And so it's kind of like rhyming two ideas rather than rhyming sounds. Um, And if you pay attention to the two lines and how they are similar, but also how they're different, that can kind of bring the poetry to life. And so just as you're reading Isaiah or reading other parts of the Bible that are written in poetry, look out for that, where two lines kind of mean the same thing, but are just a little bit different. That's your literature lesson over for today. Um, But here, if you look at these two lines, Punishment and wounds are kind of parallel. They're similar, but they're a little bit different. 
And these words, peace and healed, are parallel. Um, The suffering of God's servant brings peace. The suffering of God's servant brings healing. And to reflect on those two ideas together will really bring this passage to life. I want to encourage you to to think about that. Um, Let's think about the word peace, first of all. Um, I find myself wondering this week, is there... Is there anything that our world needs right now more than peace? As we think about what's going on in Ukraine, where cities are being torn apart, where families are being torn apart, where bodies are being torn apart, people are crying out for peace. Um, But there's lots of other places we look in our world. Maybe you look here at Northern Ireland in the run-up to another election, and you look at how even all these years after our peace agreement, we're still struggling to live together, to trust each other, to really flourish as communities side by side, and so much suspicion. Um, or maybe you, just, maybe you think um, on a more down-to-earth level of just people you know and families struggling with brokenness in families, people struggling with minds and hearts that are overwhelmed or stressed or addicted or depressed or thinking about our young people and the things that they are wrestling with and confused by and overwhelmed by. Is there anything our world needs right now on a global level, on a personal level, more than peace? Um, Of course, we've talked many times here about how in the Bible, um, the, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom, Uh, which doesn't just mean the absence of conflict and violence and noise and stress, but means the presence of well-being and wholeness and life in all its fullness and blessing. So when you hear peace in the Bible, it's not just peace and quiet, uh, but it's the presence of this beautiful sense of things being whole and things being well. Um, I think it's probably pretty uncontroversial to say everybody wants peace right do you know anybody who doesn't want peace for themselves for their family for their neighbors for our world Um, and people seek it in all kinds of ways but it seems to remain often elusive and hard to find Um, if we pay attention to these words in Isaiah I think they can help us it's one thing to want peace but it's another thing to know how to find it. Um, Jesus said one time, uh, as he wept over the city of Jerusalem, he said, if you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. So it's possible to want peace, but somehow not to be able to see what it is that will bring you peace. And I think what Isaiah points us towards here is this, that there is no peace without healing. There is a a kind of sickness in the human heart, in the human condition, which needs deep healing. And if we don't pay attention to that sickness, we won't find the peace we crave. We're going to be stumbling and fumbling in the dark. Jesus also said very famously, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick, and I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Um, our, our culture right now 
um, is in denial and flight from the whole idea of sin. I, I sometimes think there's a, a great experiment going on in our culture to see what happens if we start with the assumption that people are basically good and try and build a peaceful society on that basis. Um, and I, I don't know about you, but I don't think the experiment is going well. Um, if we won't confess that we have sinned, if we won't admit that we are sick, then we can't receive the healing that Jesus has come to give. We can't receive the peace that Jesus has come to give. There's no peace without deep healing of the human condition. But of course, this verse points us somewhere even more mysterious than that. There's no peace without healing, and there's no healing without the wounds of the servant. Um, what, what this verse points us to is the suffering of this man of sorrows is somehow essential if we're going to find healing and peace. Uh, and this is kind of a moment where I just want to pause and confess that that idea can seem really strange and even for some people kind of troubling. Um, how can the suffering of one man bring healing and peace to many? And why does God do it this way? Why can God not bring healing and peace in some other way? Um, I think I found myself thinking about this this week because last week here in church, um, a friend of mine was here who is not a Christian and who uh, has, I've had various conversations with and just finds the whole Christian message at times really baffling and he can't get his head around it. And I was thinking about him as we were singing songs last week and most of the songs we were singing about were focused on the cross and what Jesus had done on the cross and Jesus dying in our place and taking our sin and, uh, and all the rest. And I was thinking about those songs through my friend's eyes and thinking this is a message that seems strange to many people. I don't know if you have friends who react in that way as well. Maybe some of you here this morning um, find this message a bit strange. And so I want to kind of try and press into that a little bit this morning and think about it with you. Um, and there's kind of three, I've done, I've done a three-point sermon again. Uh, there's kind of three things I want to say. Something's happening to me, I don't know what's going on. Um, so three simple things I want to say, uh, kind of in response to that finding the message of the cross strange, uh, that the suffering of this one man somehow brings peace and healing to all of us. Uh, and the first thing I want to say is that this story is strange. Uh, that sounds kind of very obvious. But in other words, that there is mystery here that can't be easily explained. Um, and I think sometimes we talk about the cross like it's a mathematical equation. You know, Jesus takes your sin and he gives you his peace and it's, it's all very simple uh, and kind of obvious and logical. Um, and obviously there's a sense in which the message of the cross is simple. And we can say Jesus died for you and he takes your sin and he gives you his peace. And even a child can understand what those words mean. But I think as we come to the cross, we also need to acknowledge that we're in the presence of profound mystery. If this story is true, it is the single strangest thing that has ever happened in the history of the world, right? God becoming human and dying in our place and rising again. There is nothing stranger that has ever happened. And I think it's good to acknowledge that. I was really glad we sang that hymn at the beginning that said, how strange and divine, right? I, I love that line. 
because it is strange. Um, and there's actually there's an old hymn, uh, this many of you will know, that says, "'Tis mystery all, the immortal dies. Who can explore his strange design? In vain the firstborn seraph, that's an angel, tries to sound the depths of love divine. Do you get what the hymn writer is saying? He's saying, even the angels can't get their heads around this. It is strange. It is mysterious. And I think in thinking about this ourselves and in talking to our friends, um, it's good to just acknowledge uh, this story is strange. Uh, and there's, there's great mystery here. Um, second thing is this, is that this story is often misunderstood. In other words, we can hear the message of the cross in a subtly distorted way, which can cause confusion of mind and distress of heart. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to venture into slightly deep water here for a moment and do some careful theological thinking with you. And I hope, I hope you're willing to come with me. Um, there was a, a phrase during the Second World War that said, careless talk costs lives. And I think it can be true in talking about God, that careless talk can damage lives. And people can walk away from church and walk away from faith because of misunderstanding about God's character. And sometimes the God they're walking away from is not actually the God of the Bible. And so a little bit of careful thinking is sometimes needed. So I hope you'll come with me on this for a few months. Um, if we were getting our theology of the cross just from Isaiah 53 and not thinking about what's said in other parts of the Bible, including the New Testament, we might think that there are two characters who are completely separate. Um, so follow closely. There is the servant of the Lord on one hand, who is the man of sorrows, who is the one who suffers for the many. And then on the other hand, there is the Lord himself, and he is the one who inflicts the suffering on the servant. And so in verse 6, we read, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord inflicts the suffering, the, the, the servant suffers. If we'd read on, we would have read in verse 10, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Um, and so taking just that little picture this is how some people understand the message of the cross, that God the Father is a God simply and only of wrath. And he is angry at human sin and he wants to punish it with death. And Jesus, who is love, steps into the gap between us and God and offers to take the punishment on himself on our behalf. And God the Father pours out his anger on Jesus until it is spent and we can be forgiven. Now, I used the word subtle a few minutes ago because most of the elements in what I've just said are true. The reality of sin, the reality of God's anger, the reality that Jesus takes our place. And yet, the way that I've just expressed it, if we, if we say the message in that way, it is subtly distorted and deeply confusing and troubling and can actually cause real damage to people's view of God's character. And why is that? I think it's for this reason. Because it sounds like the will of God is just to punish, just anger, just wrath. And the will of Jesus is just to save. 
love. So the Father is wrath, Jesus is love. The Father's will is to punish, Jesus' will is to save. But I want to say something really emphatically and really clearly this morning. As we read the whole of Scripture, and especially as we go into the New Testament, it is so clear that the will of the Father and the will of the Son cannot be divided. The Son loves what the Father loves. The Father chooses what the Son chooses. And actually, Jesus tells us this again and again and again, especially in John's Gospel, where he says, The Father and I are one. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. I don't do anything that the Father doesn't do. And I don't say anything that the Father doesn't say. So in other words, if you're just reading Isaiah 53, you think there's the servant here and there's the Lord here, but the mystery gets deeper as you reach the New Testament. And you realize that in some way that we can't understand, in the person of the servant, God has come to take our place and to take our sin and to take the damage on himself. Um, if you're going to begin to see what's happening on the cross, we need to understand that in the person of this suffering servant, this man of sorrows, God has come down to take on himself our humanity, to take on himself the weight of our sin, to take into himself the poison that was killing us, to take into himself the sickness which brings death, to drink himself the cup of his own righteous anger to the last drop, to take all the damage so that we don't have to. Now, I'm aware we're in deep water there, and you may want to go back later on and listen again and see if you've understood, and you may want to come and talk to me if you find that confusing. Um, here's how Paul puts it in Colossians 1. He says, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. What's going on on the cross? God himself is reconciling all things to himself. To say that the father punishes and the son suffers, or the father is anger and the son is love, is just bad, bad, bad theology. And it does harm, it costs lives. Father, Son, and Spirit loved the world. Father, Son, and Spirit are grieved and troubled and saddened and angered by sin. Father, Son, and Spirit choose to act in love, to take our sin and sickness, and to take the damage so that we can be forgiven and healed, so we can have peace. I want to encourage you, if you've been seeing the cross, maybe in that distorted way that I was talking about, um, I want to encourage you to look again, <laughs> look again, because when we, we see the cross truly, we end up amazed by grace. We end up saying, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love, that you would take my place, that you would bear my cross. You would lay down your life so I can be set free. Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. And we can say, Father, I sing for all that you've done for me. Spirit, I sing for all that you've done for me. There's no division between the will of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Deep water. Let's move on. Um, the last thing I want to say is much more down to earth, maybe, or brings us um, closer to our lives, is that this story changes lives today. That 
many, many, many thousands and hundreds of thousands of people have found peace and healing at the cross. Many people through the centuries, many people in every corner of the world, um, many, many people in this room and in that room and watching at home. Um, it's an extraordinary thing, isn't it? The, the cross of Jesus happens at a certain moment in time, and yet it's not bound by time. The prophets saw it hundreds of years before it happened, and hundreds of years after it happened, that message, that story, has power to change lives. Um, when people today come to that place in faith, and you can do that while you're sitting on a blue chair in the sandal center, or one of the more comfortable chairs in the cafe. Uh, you can do it while you're sitting in your kitchen or your living room at home. Uh, but whenever people come to that cross in faith and come as they are and bring all the messy reality of their hearts and lives, all the ways that they have caused damage and been damaged, and they, 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 they bring all of that to the man on the cross, they find that Jesus takes their sin and takes their sickness and sorrow and selfishness and shame and gives instead this profound, life-changing peace and this profound, life-changing healing. He makes them well. He makes them whole. He makes them alive. He makes them new. Um, I've been listening a lot recently to a, a worship song, which is not my usual cup of tea, because um, it's from a a livelier tradition maybe than I'm used to and I'm not much of a dancer or anything I'm going to send you the song on WhatsApp later on and some of you will love it and some of you will be like that's not my cup of tea but um, it's a song of testimony about a life that has been changed by an encounter with Jesus and I just want to read you I'm not going to sing it to you um, but I want to read you just a few of the words this is a testimony of somebody today who has met this Jesus this man on the cross that we've been talking about. And he sings, wandering into the night, wanting a place to hide this weary soul, this bag of bones. And I tried with all my might, but I just can't win the fight. I'm slowly drifting, a vagabond. But just when I ran out of road, I met a man I didn't know. And he told me that I was not alone. And this is the testimony. He picked me up. He turned me round. He placed my feet on solid ground. And I thank the master. I thank the saviour. Because he healed my heart. He changed my name. Forever free. I'm not the same. And I thank the master. I thank the saviour. I thank God. And then a little later, he gets very excited then and sings, hell, hell lost another one. I am free. I am free. I am free. But then he sings this. He, thing, he sings, if he did it for me, he can do it for you. If he did it for me, he can do it for you. And maybe what I'm wanting to convey as we go into this Easter week is, in the end, the truth of this strange story that we've been talking about can't be understood purely at a distance, logically and rationally and clinically and in a cool, detached kind of way. Um, it can only be known by first-hand experience. And that means you bring your weary soul and your bag of bones and your messy life and your damaged life 
to the man on the cross and you say to him, I've heard that you make all things new. I've heard that you can take the damage and you can make me well and you can make me whole. And I'm going to take that leap and that risk with my life to find out if it's true. Um, I want to encourage you, today would be a really good day (laughs) to do that. This week would be a really good week to bring your life to the man on the cross and find out by experience that this stranger than strange story is also truer than true. Um, Let's pray together. And then we're going to sing a couple of songs really as response uh, to what we've been been thinking about. Um, Let's pray. Father, thank you for this strange and beautiful story that we've been able to think about again together this morning. Father, I want to pray for each of us as we respond in our own hearts to this message. Father, I want to pray for those of us who've been following you for years and years. But I want to pray that today and this Easter season, we would be amazed again by the message of the cross. We would be amazed again by your grace and your mercy and your kindness that are shown there. And Father, we are really aware, even after following you for many years, there are so many ways that we still need your peace and we still need your healing. And Father, I pray that we would come to you this Easter time And ask again, would you pour out your shalom in our lives? Would you make us well? Would you make us whole? Would you bring that even deeper healing that we still need? And Father, I want to pray uh, for those who are here this morning who have stood at a distance from the cross, but, but have never brought their own hearts and lives to that place and made a response of faith. And Father, I want to pray by your spirit, would you give them courage this morning to come to that place and to ask for your forgiveness and your grace and your healing, to ask you to take their sin and their shame and their selfishness, to take the damage that they have caused and the damage that's been caused to them and instead to pour out your forgiveness and grace, your peace and your healing. Father, I pray that here among us this morning and among those listening at home, you would write some new stories even today. People who will be able to say, he picked me up and he turned me around and he set my feet on on solid ground and I thank the master, I thank the saviour, I thank God. Father, be with us now as we sing and respond Uh, to the things that we've been thinking about. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.